Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. I think a lot about that when I say kids, I'll see in a little bit that um, sometimes I hate to say goodbye to anybody. I just say, we'll see you in a little bit. Because uh, other, uh, otherwise, you know, if the Lord were to take me or to take you or whatever, it's going to be just a little bit as long as you know Jesus Christ and we'll be back together again. Anyways, um, this, this message is, is very close to my heart. Uh, and I, obviously I had Caleb read the scriptures to you um, because... Um, I wanted you to get it into your heart before I kind of reiterate on them again. I want you to know that uh, God loves you and one day he's coming back for you. Uh, and if you know him as personally as your Savior, and he's going to take you home. Uh, and that's uh, one of the glorious uh, thoughts that is in my uh, mind every day, is that one day I'm going to actually be home. So in Luke 15, 1 through 7, um, the, there, uh, I should say in Luke 15, there are three iconic uh, parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And they all had one primary point, and that is there is joy in heaven even when one sinner repents. Right? There's joy in heaven over one sinner repents. Father, help me to convey this truth in a way that would establish a foundation in our hearts that one day, as this foundation is you, that we build upon, we will be in the house uh, that, you build, that, you build, uh, that you're building and preparing for us in heaven. So, I, Father, I just thank you. A lot depends upon the foundation that's built here on, on the rewards that we'll get there. But one of the greatest rewards is just being with you, Lord, uh, just being in your presence and living in your home. So we'll trust, Lord, this will help uh, and help me, Lord, because this is an emotional thing for me. It, uh, it establishes where I first took my first steps as a baby, born again, uh, and remembering those moments. So help me, Lord, please, I pray, uh, to convey these truths that would glorify Thee and not me. And we'll just thank You for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The sequence went from one in a hundred. If you if you're familiar with this verse, these these verses in chapter uh, 15 of, of of the book of Luke, it went from one in a hundred to one in ten, and then to one in two. And the and, and what's interesting here is the audience that was gathered here, right to um, to listen to him, to listen to Jesus. Um, it covered a whole spectrum of people. Did you notice that? Sinners, Pharisees, I mean, I, I would imagine there was every, every type of aspect of people there, cultures, uh, that words translated as murmured has a sense of whispering between themselves. Perhaps their hands were over their mouths like that. My, by the way, sometimes when I'm preaching, I can see that going on with you people. I may say something, I see somebody, you know, like this, you know. You hear what he just said, you know, and, uh, or whatever. But that what was going on right there at that particular time. So Jesus, knowing what they were saying, uh, although they didn't know that he knew what they were saying, uh, and their pompous critical spirit was in, in them, he replied with a sequence of these parables. 
And all driving home the same point. There's joy when one sinner repents amongst those who profess to be godly. Um, and what I mean by that is this. There, there is joy for those who have a possession of Christ, not those who just profess Christ. In other words, those who know him have a day coming when they'll be in home with him. And that's why I entitled this message, Coming Home. So in this first parable, upon realizing one of the sheep was lost, the shepherd left the 99. He sought the one, the one lost sheep, until he found it. So the parable, what's happening here, is set forth as a rhetorical question, asking, he's actually saying this, what shepherd, in other words, if you were a shepherd, what shepherd uh, would not do the same, very same thing uh, if you had one lost sheep go astray, you'd go after him? You could put in a lot of you could put a lot of analogies in there, like what parent, right, who had one child that was going astray, wouldn't do all that he or she could as a parent to get that child, find that child, and bring him back home, right? What 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 in what job would the owner or the boss in the job, if he had a good employee, wouldn't do everything he could? Right to keep that employee there, and if he got off track, to go get that employee and bring him back home. Why? Because he's so valuable uh, to them. So in this first parable, upon realizing one of the sheep was lost, he, he talks about that, and upon arriving home, the shepherd calls all of his friends and neighbors and invites them to rejoice with him, for he has found the sheep that was lost. Now I want you to think about this. I, I think we can, I can safely assume, I'm not one that tries to Talk, I don't talk about assume much, but I think we can safely assume here that the obvious implication here was that he had already let his friends and family know that he had one of his sheep that was lost. And he had already invited them to try to find that sheep. And that's usually what happens when you truly care about somebody or love somebody. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of prayer. So I am not afraid. I'm not one of those people, oh, I, don't want to, I don't want to mention this. Please don't mention it. That's not me. Right? I believe prayer works. I believe it does. And so I'm going to tell as many people as I know that I know will pray if I have a problem or if I think there's something that could be resolved just through prayer. I, I, you know, I, don't like to, I don't like to stand back and say, well, I don't want anybody to know about this. Or no, I'm sorry, but you, you're, you're, re you're going to read you're reading me all the way through, I'm going to just tell you what it is, even if it's my own struggle. So what does this mean for us? We are the Lord's friends. That's what we are. We're the Lord's family. And the ones He has asked to join with Him in finding His lost sheep. I just believe He had already gotten a hold of all His neighbors and all of His friends and family and told them, I, I've lost, I lost a very important uh, one of my sheep and I can't find him. And he, and he wants them to uh, celebrate with him if he does find them, or maybe they will find him. So who are we who are born-again Christians are friends of Jesus, and he wants to celebrate with us when any of those lost sheep uh, come home. And there may be somebody in here this morning that hasn't come home yet. They're lost and they need a Savior. I hope today would be the day they get saved. So anyways, this is why the message is one message that's very close to my heart. Because it came as a result of my mother-in-law and her influence in my own salvation. I even used this passage when I gave her eulogy and, her, and uh, the message I gave at her funeral. Um, she got saved at a revival 
and um, delivered that very night. She was living with us at the time, and the very first thing she did was call home that night. Knew nothing about, really, what she had done as far as biblically. She just knew that she heard the scriptures, she knew she was a sinner, and she got saved. And the very first person she comes to that night was me. Uh, she came and we sat at the kitchen table. And she said to me, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, Wade. She says, but I got saved tonight. And I said, good. I didn't know what she was talking about. And she said, yeah. And she goes, are you saved? And before I could get the words out of my mouth, right, because I didn't even know how to answer that question, she says, oh, you must be saved. Because um, you, you go to church, you take your kid, and we did at the time, we were going to a church. She says, you've been raising your kids right, you, you pray before your meals, you take good care of my daughter, I believe you must be saved. Of course, she was, uh, didn't have enough of the knowledge of her own salvation yet to understand that. She did as she grew, uh, but that's what drove me uh, to, uh, the curiosity drove me to find out what that meant. And it took about a year, and, I had, and God sent several people in my path along the way. But finally, uh, one night, um, uh, a long, long time ago now, uh, I bowed my heart to Christ and gave my life to Him, and everything has changed ever since. And I, I believe that was about 27 years ago, I think. But while most people go to bed in their own beds, in their own homes, resting comfortably, there are many who don't. And, and Pat and I know what it's like. That's uh, why um, missions are, are so close to us, because there's so many people without homes. And we realize it's hard for those who have homes and have been settled for years to understand the logistics of living without one. All right? And, and we understand that, but, but we also can identify with those who have never had a home of their own. You, you would not know this, um, uh, but the home that you're providing for us right now is the first home, and it's not even our own, uh, that we've had in, in years. Um, and when they finally have one, after the many years of not having one, it's very surreal. I recently volunteer, uh, voluntarily changed many of the things in the parsonage um, for the better. Why did I do that? Well, it wasn't that I was ungrateful for what was there. I just want you to know that. I just wanted my wife to feel at home and as close to her home as possible. And I knew some of those changes would have to be done for her to do that. It didn't matter that much to me, but because she's my love of my life, and she's been living without a home for so long. I just wanted to be hers. I, she could identify it as her own. I wanted her to feel every time she arrives back at that house, it would feel to her like she was coming to her own home, even though it's not her own home. But my mother-in-law, in her early years of life, uh, thinking about that, she lived with many hardships, much like an orphan does, uh, without a home. She never had a home she could call her own. I remember when she first got her home and it was called her home. It was very, very special to her. And she was given up, uh, um, abandoned really, at a very early age. And therefore, she always had a heart for orphans and for foster children and those without homes like herself who were shipped from one place to another. She ended up, I believe, up in Gloversville is where she ended up. 
And then the rest is history, as far as I'm concerned. So she never complained about it. She never talked about it even. Uh, but she survived it, and as a result, I was one who was blessed by it. And when you think about it, uh, she was the, one of the few who was thrilled to see me marry her daughter. Now, the first thing she did after getting saved was to find me, share with me the gospel, to see if I was saved. And I, I will be forever grateful to my mother-in-law uh, for that because she felt that I was important enough to set her fears aside and tell me about Jesus. If you truly love somebody, that's what you do. And because of her concern for me, I now have a home completely furnished for me awaiting for my arrival in heaven. And I think most of you know now I love to travel. My wife does not. Right? I love to travel. I still have countries and cultures and cities I want to personally go to uh, with the gospel and, and preach in those areas and pray in those areas. I do. I just do. But while traveling is very rewarding to me, you all know what I'm about to say. There's nothing like coming home, is there? There's nothing like coming home. And that's if you have one to come home to. And there are so many in the world that don't have that. So there is a day coming when all the children of God will be coming home and home to their eternal place prepared for them by Jesus in heaven. Every place will have a breathtaking view of the throne room and of Jesus. John 14, 1 through 6 says, let, your, let not your heart be troubled. Right? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I, I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And there's not a more clear verse in all of the Bible than this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Isn't that an amazing scripture? I remember going to Canada one time preaching at a funeral. And I had forgot, I got to the committal service and forgot my Bible. Isn't that funny? And I had memorized that, so I quoted that. I quoted that and then gave a prayer and gave my illustrative points at the, at the grave site. And I can remember the, uh, the son, I think it was the son or the nephew coming up to me afterwards. He goes, and I've never heard it put that way. Right? He said, I've read the Bible, and I don't know what I said, I don't know how I said it, but isn't it amazing how if you got that word in your heart abiding in you, like we talked about this morning, it just kind of flows out of you, and then someone gets uh, saved or changed by that. And he was a very prominent businessman in Canada. So I want us to notice a few things in this story that are important to us as, as the friends of Jesus, who he has called to look for his, lo his lost sheep, all right? There's three things, and I'm going to go into uh, uh, several other things, but I want you to listen closely. Christ's message here, given here, was to reach everyone. I, I, I'm amazed at who was there. You know, verse 1 and 2 says, notice every type of person was there. The message was without bias, it was without segregation. The publicans were there. These were those lovable, rich tax collectors that everyone hated. I guess you'd call them the IRS of today. Then the poor sinners were there, and there was a lot of them, I'm sure, because they were looking for help or hope, looking for handouts maybe, or, or, or maybe just something to hold on to. 
The Pharisees were there. These were the self-righteous ones. You know, and, and a part of those would include the scribes or the scripture experts. Uh, you know, I, I think about social media right now and all of these uh, media platforms, and they say they have fat, fact checkers. You know, and half these are, are, are humorous to me, these fact checkers. They just, they just try to keep uh, the conservative voice out of it. That's all they're doing. They'll fact check it and say that's not right, even though they know it's right. And they'll, and they'll get it out. Well, these, these, the, uh, the scribes were the fact, fact checkers, right, they, of Jesus' day. They were, they were there for one purpose, and that was only to critique his teaching and preaching. And by the way, I know the feeling. I've had people come up and sit in the back and critique. I, I've, I've, never, I've never forgotten the day I preached in Herkimer, New York, at the oldest Reformed church. Um, somebody asked me to come preach there, a Baptist. It's a historical. There's no uh, meetings there at all. And it was just a historical meeting of people, and they asked if Pastor Wade Prime would come and give a message. And, and the interesting thing about that is if you've ever been in one of these churches, right, there's a spiral staircase that and it goes up to the top to a bird, like a bird uh, nest. And you're in this little bitty area, and then there's a roll around the top, and there's a roll around the bottom, and you, and you give the message. Well, obviously, there's only a couple people there because they had just asked me to do it as a part of the historical meaning of the church. But I looked down and I saw the pews had doors on the end. And there was a section of pews right here. Like you look down, there was right there, it was like maybe two, two rows of pews that were facing the pulpit. So I asked the, the history major, whoever it was in that time, and I said, what are they, what are, what's the doors on the pews? He said, well, you had to pay for those. That was your spot in the church. Right? So a family would pay for that. That's how they would bring money into the church. You'd pay for the pew section. And I said, well, what are these right here? He says, well, you wouldn't, want, you wouldn't like that today. And I said, why? He says, that's where all the deacons sat. <laughs> and he says, and they, their job was to critique your pre preaching. In other words, they'd have their notebooks and their pads, and they would just say, well, he was wrong on that, or he should have hit this better, or whatever. I'd say, I would have died if I had that. So they're all there. Everyone was there to hear what Jesus had to say. Groups looking to help, getting help from him, and there was groups there trying to hurt him. So they were all there. They all needed a Savior, and he loved the whole motley crew. Isn't it amazing about our Savior? Yeah. Loved the whole motley crew. He was trying to reach them all with the gospel, and his message was not a respecter of persons. He just wanted them to hear the message. And as Peter alluded to in Acts 10.34, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So Jesus, the great shepherd, is looking for all of his sheep, and it's never changed. The foolish as well as the wise, the ignorant as well as the intelligent, the rich as well as the poor, the desirable as well as the deplorable, the ones that didn't like him and the ones that did like him. He wants them all found. So the ones everyone forgets about as well as the ones that everybody knows about. He was searching, uh, or letting him know that there's a search for the hearts of mankind, men and women of all ages, of all kinds. He doesn't want to lose any one of them. Amen? If you, don't, if you leave here today and don't get at least that into your heart, then I've, I've really failed at this message. He, he wants you to be searching for lost sheep. That's why he saved you. He didn't just save you to save you. He saved you to become the Christian you ought to be. 
So he, he, he seemed to always think of that one everyone else had forgotten about. That was my mother-in-law. The black sheep. The unwanted one. The one who can't find his way out of life. That was her. Um, I found out she supported, like, uh, gave a lot of money to, like, orphanages down in New York City and places like that that I didn't even know about. She revealed to me just before she died. And because of her, listen to this, I can attest to 14 of 17 of my grandchildren being saved. Right? I get saved, uh, lead my, uh, my kids to the Lord, my kids are leading their kids to the Lord, and it's just amazing how it goes on and on and on. Um, so the black sheep, the unwanted one, the one who can't find their way, listen, that's who we're, we've come to find and to bring home concerning the ones who are just trying to do their best sometimes in life and they just can't find their way back home. Do you know that Jesus' words, uh, Jesus said these words in Luke 4.18? He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Have you ever thought about what he was saying right there? Who did he come for? Well, he, he was quoting a brief part of a prophetic promise found in Isaiah 61, but these verses identified his target audience. Listen to it. The, the bankrupt. One don't have any money. The, the uh, broken, the brokenhearted. You know, the ones that got a rough, uh, their plate's been full in life, right? How about the bound? Talking about the prisoner, the ones addicted, you know, that are bound to these things. He said, the, the blind, the ones that don't see. We're living in a world right now, that's, in a country right now, that a majority of them are blind, totally blind to the things of God. And the bruised. You know, he, had, he had a heart for those people that had been abused. And, and he knew what it was like to be bound, right? And beaten. He knew all that. He knew what it was like to be a homeless living under a bridge or nestled in a bush like so many do. If you go down to St. Augustine, Florida, I know, I know Dave and Laura Lee do, but we, we went down there twice every, um, every year for the last 30, 35 years, and I'm amazed at the amount of homeless people that are in that city living in bushes and under bridges that you don't see. They just come out and they do their thing and go back and live in there. He also knew what it was like to live in wealth and then have to succumb to poverty. He left the throne room of heaven to come down and live in skin. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Right? That he through his poverty might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. He knew what it was like to be a strong and have to succumb to weakness. That's our Lord. It says, in, let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, 5, and 8, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the, of the cross. I, I've, I've never gotten those verses out of my heart. He knew what it was like living as a king in a palace and then living as a squatter. You know, I, what was interesting to me in my, all my third world trips around the world is that in every city you see all the high-rises and all the 
wealthy people where they live, and you, you drive like five minutes out of the city, and it's people everywhere living under tents and tin roofs. They're called squatters. They're just, they're just living there under there. I don't know how they go to the bathroom. I don't know how they, uh, how they live there. I don't know how it even works, but there's, there's literally thousands of them everywhere in third world countries. I remember literally going, I, we went, um, years ago, me and my wife went on a, a cruise and, uh, and we went down to, I, I, I can't remember the island that we went to, and we got to that island and it was all the nice motels and the fancy, and then I wanted to get, get a souvenir and I walked two blocks over and it was, a, it was the poorest, thing I, uh, poorest people I've ever seen on planet Earth. Listen everybody, Christ's message was to reach everyone. Everyone, not to leave anyone out. Secondly, Christ's method was to reveal to them God's heart or his heart. He wanted to know. He wanted them to know how he felt. And he, he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you have a hundred sheep? If you lose one of them, doth he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, go after that which is lost until he find it? See, with this parable of the lost sheep, Jesus would reveal a critical truth. How valuable people are to him. This is one of the most memorable parables Jesus ever told, and it is a very powerful illustration of the heart of God. He wants everyone to know that the good shepherd himself was committed to finding the lost sheep, the ones that he loved. He would search until every one of them was found. So it's clear here, according to God's heart, that Jesus wanted everyone to know how much they meant to him. He, he asked, wouldn't any reasonable shepherd do that? And, and it's rhetorical, and yes, yes, no, no reasonable shepherd would want to you know, just forget about that sheep that's lost. Family, don't miss this one point. If the highest priority of your pastor is not to reach lost sheep, he will not be a good shepherd to you. Now let me repeat that again. And I'm putting myself in a real spot here when I say this, right? If the, if the highest priority of your pastor is not to reach lost sheep, he's not going to be a good shepherd to you who's, who are here because he hasn't got the heart of God. I question every pastor that doesn't try to reach souls for Christ that does just their daily work, comes in and preaches a few messages a week and uh, makes a few hospital visits and uh, marries a few people, buries a few people, and never once even mentions Christ to anybody else that's out there that needs Christ as their Savior. He may fight for your conservative values and, and be strong proponent of the King James Bible, but if he's not a soul winner who loves people, he's just sounding brass or a tingling cymbal that profiteth nothing for Christ. He doesn't know the heart of God. So the shepherd here tenderly called the lost sheep. He said, it's my sheep. These are my sheep. Right? That's the way I feel about every one of you. Right? I know I just started you know, eight months ago or whatever it was, but you're my sheep. I'm accountable to you, to, to all of you. So they were his sheep no matter how dirty they were, how filthy they were, how depraved they were, how beaten they were. It didn't matter how ugly of a situation they had gotten themselves into. It didn't matter to him. 
He loved them in spite of who they are and what they had done. And I think we need to hear this more and more. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now he also took care of those he found. Yes, he did while he was here. But his number one purpose, what was it? Is to reach them. And then to reveal them God's heart. And then thirdly, Christ's mission was to return home with them. Um, I love this thought the best, obviously. But he left his home in heaven to find his lost sheep and bring them back home with him. All right, take them back home. All of us have lost our way because of our sin. We all know that. And Jesus set out to find us and he wasn't willing to return home without us. And by the way, he was not willing to leave anyone behind. Right? That's why we don't preach Calvinism. He's not willing to leave anybody behind. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men call it slackness. But his long-suffering not toward, uh, to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm not sure why they don't understand that word all. All means all to me. In the Greek, Hebrew, English, everything. All means all. That's all it means. So it is the highest importance of Christ's heart that those who trust him be with him where he is, and he wants you with him for all of eternity. And if there's someone here that's unsaved, listen, he wants to bring you back home with him one day. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 24. So Jesus Christ is coming again to personally escort his found sheep into his eternal presence. So Christ's message was to reach everyone. Christ's method was to reveal to them Christ's heart. And Christ's mission was to re return home with every one of them. So, so listen to me. This is how I'm going to close this out. It's going to take about 10 minutes. So what exactly does that mean, coming home? Then? What exactly does that mean, coming home? Well, I'm going to share with you. I'm glad you asked. Coming home means residing with him in person for all of eternity. Residing with him in person for all of eternity. Coming home means we get to be with Jesus forever. Living with God himself in our eternal perfected state, and I like that thought too, we will be never apart from him again. The sinner on the cross said to Jesus, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did he say? Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house were many mansions. If I were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I, I don't know if it's a mansion or not, as far as the way we see mansions, but it's a mansion to him that he wants to give to us, and it's a prepared place that he, prepares, that he has prepared himself for us. So he must have put some thought into us. Right? So coming home means residing with him in person. Secondly, coming home means rejoicing with him in praise. Do you know, um, if you turn over, just quickly, turn over to First Peter. First Peter 1. I 
hope I remember this correctly. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than the gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, right? in honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know, coming home means you're going to be rejoicing with him forever praising together. You know, Jesus looks forward to the day when his children work is done and, and he can bring them home to enjoy them, just to enjoy them. You know, we're, we're flying out of here tomorrow morning, at five o'clock in the morning, and, and uh, my son has said, you know, I, I'm not working right now, I've got two weeks, just so we can sit down and enjoy each other for a while. You know, because he's so busy all the time, and we're so busy all the time. We don't get those moments a lot. And all I could think of was this verse that I was preparing for for this message. At that day, we'll, there'll be a whole lot of rejoicing going on, a whole lot of joy to share. At that day, we'll be, we will celebrate over him and with him, and we shall share in the celebration of us, uh, of us coming home. Uh, and a voice came out of the throne room, Revelation 19, 5-7, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of many thunders saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his, his wife hath made herself ready. Uh, I mean, I can just can imagine what goes on in the heart of Jesus when he sees his church come home. Because I'm thinking the same thing, aren't you? And what it's going to feel like when we see Jesus for the first time and be in his presence in our new home. So coming home means residing with him in person, rejoicing with him in praise. And coming home thirdly means reigning with him in power. I don't quite understand this one, to be honest with you. I would just believe it by faith. But it's for me, it is so hard to fathom, but by faith I believe it. I will one day sit on his throne with him in his throne room do you understand that? I, I don't get it, but I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Revelation 3, 20 and 21 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And then he says, to him, that, him, to him that overcometh, he says, I will grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father in His throne. 
So who is he that overcometh? Well, John, 1 John 5, 5 tells us, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, if you believe him, and you believe on him, and you receive him as your Savior, you're going to one day sit in the throne. Right next to him. Don't understand how that all works, but when we come home to Jesus, we're granted permission. In other words, we can go right in and sit right there. I, I, I just, it's to him, to him be power and glory. Amen. Uh, I, I don't understand everything that I read, but I know this, I like what I read. But as many as received them, to them it gave ye power to be the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then finally, coming home means resting with him forever in peace. Resting. I can't wait for that day. Can you? You know how hard life is. <laughs> you know how, how, I mean, you retire and you think, oh, we can just enjoy life now. Any of you retirees want to raise your hand and say, oh, yeah, it's fun. I don't do anything. I just sit home and just drink coffee. And I guarantee none of you do that. You're as busy probably as you were even more, either trying to take care of the church or take care of your family or whatever it is you're going on. But I want to tell you, one day you're going to be resting with him forever in peace. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest... He also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That's why we work so hard right now. We've got a rest that's coming. And we're grateful, aren't we, for Sundays? You know, that's kind of a day of rest for us. It's the Lord's Day. It's not the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is Saturday, but that's the rest for the Jews. But ours is the resurrection day, and we rest on this day. We're supposed to anyways. I don't encourage anybody to go take this day to do some work or to, to mow your lawn. Rest in your Lord, you know? I know it's, it's a day you say, well, I only got a certain amount of time to do things, but I really think you ought to give this day all totally to the Lord. I really do. So, with all of that said, it's the same crowd here today. Unbelievers and believers alike, 1 John 5.12 says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. Uh, it's the same Christ, the same shepherd looking for his believers. And Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus still says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am, the, I am the door of the sheep. That hasn't changed. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd, he said, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And that means it's the same conditions now as it was then for sinners to be found and saved. Jesus answering and saith unto them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6, 29. And then 1 John 5, 13, my, one of my favorite verses, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So Christ's message, right, was to reach every single one. Christ's method was to reveal to them God's heart. And then Christ's mission was to return home with every one of them that he finds. Coming home means just residing forever with him in person. Re uh, re coming home means rejoicing forever with him in praise. Coming home means reigning forever with him in power. And coming home means resting forever with him in peace. Oh, glory, hallelujah, amen. 
get myself all excited here. Listen, 1 Peter 2.25, ye were a sheep going astray. All of us were, but ye are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The same crowd of people is right here today. The same Christ with the same promises right here today. The same conditions. Faith must be met. Nothing has changed. For by, grace you have, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He also said, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Peter said, Peter said neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That whosoever is whoever it is. That You can put your name there. Because he came for all people. So with head bowed, eyes closed, hearts open, we invite you now to call upon your Jesus. If you're unsaved, accept his invitation and be saved. If you are saved, I hope the message encouraged you about the day coming when you're going home. If you're unsaved, you just got to admit to Jesus that you're a sinner with no way to save yourself from the penalty of your sin or the wrath of God. And then you just got to acknowledge that Jesus paid your sin debt. He came to find you, to save you, and to bring you back home, to spare you from hell so that he could have you in heaven for the rest of eternity. And then accept Jesus by faith and the free gift of eternal life. Repent, just to mean to turn from your unbelief, and receive him as your Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If, you'll, if you're here unsaved, if you'll sincerely pray right now for Jesus to save you from your sin and receive you uh, as one of his, you'll be safe and secure in his family both now and forever. And you too will be coming home one day to the home that he has prepared for you. I think I'm preaching to the choir, but I don't want to. I don't want to assume anything. Listen, is there anyone here who's being honest with God? That's being honest with God, saying right now, "I know I'm not saved, and I want to be saved. I just know I'm not, and I want to be saved." By the raised hand, I won't embarrass anybody. Anybody at all? If that's you, you, you just if there is someone here and you're afraid to raise your hand, meet me afterwards in the back or come forward at this invitation that Mike's going to give. I would, it would be my honor to help you do that. And as Mike leads his invitation, I think we need to think about a lot of things uh, that come out of this message. There, there's just people out there that need us more now than ever. And he has taken upon us to be a part of his plan to reach those people. In other words, we have to go search for them. We have to look for them. Some of them are sleeping under bridges. 
Some of them are in the bushes hiding without no home of their own. But yet again, there are some of them that live in mansions. And they just don't know how to, how to even come to that point where they surrender themselves to Christ. And that's where we come in. So who by the raised hand would say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I would be more involved in going after that one lost sheep? Amen. Hands all over the place. I expected that. Amen. I expected that. So Father, please I pray, do the exceeding abundantly above all that we could possibly ask for or think. Help us to be that shepherd that you want us to be, looking for that lost one that you want to see in heaven with you for all of eternity. So as Mike comes, Lord, and leads us in a, just in a closing hymn, may our heart's desire be to fulfill your will in this life as we live it, so that we can all come home together. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.